Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a photog adventure of your own. It's episode 92. 92. 92. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast, everybody. We are back. Back from a land of beauty, a land of amazement, and a land of very difficult internet reception and connection (laughs) with life outside (laughs) of the people immediately around you. (laughs) True, yeah. Um... So when you go to the Faroe Islands, don't expect to have your data plans work because no. they don't really, well, unless you pay a ton of money, then you can have it work. Oh, no, no. I paid a ton of money. And it still? was $130 for my Verizon to have added on two gigs of data, 100 something minutes of calling and blah, 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 blah. And it worked in Iceland. It worked in the UK. But when it came to Faroe Islands, even though it claimed the, the day I arrived, it claimed you have two gigs, you have data, blah, 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 blah. It never pulled up LTE like twice. Did mm. I ever coerce the phone, massaged it and gently pressured it into giving me signal? It gave me LTE only twice. And that lasted minutes. Really? And it didn't matter. Mm. It wasn't like I was on the top of a hill and, okay, now I have a signal. I was down between hills and driving along the road on the edge of the uh, sea, and suddenly I got LTE, and I used it for two minutes. It was great. So I'm wondering is if we do what Dave did. Dave Dillahunt was with us on a workshop, and yeah. he went out to the to the phone store in town in Torshavon. Yeah, in Torshavon. Torshavon. In and the capital. He bought a SIM card. That had like, I think you can buy two, five, 10 gigs, whatever, like increments. And I think the best value vendor was saying is get the 10 gig one. Just go buy the 10 gig. It's like $10 more. And he got that and it gave him LTE as well. Like it gave him download capabilities or calling and texting capabilities. Calling, texting, and 10 gigs of data. (laughs) Frustrating. But we're back 16 days later. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Thank you so much. We had an amazing time in the Faroe Islands. And so let's just get right into it. I think we have plenty of stuff coming that we want to tell you about. Our two-year anniversary, our chance to to root out the best of our August challenge of that Milky Way challenge and give them their award. We have lots Mm. of cool stuff coming. But right now, let's just focus on the Faroe Islands. Yeah, so getting there. <laughs> it's not too bad. Well, quickly, if you summed up like if a flight trip tip, you wanted to give someone mm. a tip for it, what would you say one good tip would be? And I'll do one myself. Uh, pack everything in one bag. That's what I did. Oh, everything into one stuff. bag. It was freaking heavy. It weighed like 50 pounds and my bag was like literally to its limits of tearing apart. <laughs> but... It was so convenient to just have the roller bag with everything in it, my camera, my tripod, head, everything, and all my clothes was in one bag. And he was that just was rolling it life. around, enjoying his life, while I carried it all on my back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I had the iPad, the laptop, the podcasting equipment on top of the other stuff, and I think we ended up with the same amount of weight. It's just roller versus back. Mm. It was miserable. So I agree. 
definitely pack that well. Because you know what? Who cares? You're going to be able to put that on carry-on anyway. You're going to tuck it up there in the overhead, no problem. Mm -hmm. And I had a backpack that I was going to use when I hiked, but I didn't have to have it as the only option. I could just put it in there with everything and then use it and pull it out. So guaranteed I'm getting a nice hard case or soft, I don't know what I'll get, but just a good square rectangular space that I can jam everything in because it was quite miserable having it all jam-packed in a mind shift bag. Yeah, and I, I just brought my Matador bag, which actually was already came pre-compressed in this little tiny bag that I could just shove into the corner of my luggage and then pack around it. And then when I came home, I just left it flat, which actually took up less room Oh, yeah. And it was bundled up. Of course. Because I took a bunch of like chocolate and stuff home. So I needed the extra space. (laughs) My tip for the travel would be if you can afford it, don't save the $80 or $100 because they will find a way to get that money from you (laughs) by either not giving you any food on the flight and charging you for everything. $15 for a little meal. You want a ham sandwich for $10 and it's like Mm. dry and they put it in the toaster for five seconds for you. It's like, look, it's warm and freshly made. Mm-hmm. Ugh. No, you don't get food on this overnight flight. You don't get a blanket and a pillow. What do you think we are? A mm. nice airline? Yeah, I was hoping. So, hated it. Don't save money on your flights. Yes, you can fly cheap, but you're going to be You're going to pay for it one it. way or the other, right? Yeah, so yeah. just don't. So, flight out to the Faroes. Copenhagen was an easier, cheaper flight to go from Edinburgh to Copenhagen over to the Faroes. That was almost it, nothing to go. Right? It's ridiculous how it, cheap it is to fly in the, U, in the EU. Once you're yeah. there in the EU, it is really cheap. But yeah. that extra, like, flying to Copenhagen and go through the hassle of waiting for the next flight and getting on a plane again and going was just so unnecessary. We could have flown mm. straight from Edinburgh right in or if you fly from the states right. to copenhagen then go straight from there to pharaohs mm-hmm. or iceland but one thing you need to know about iceland is that when you land in iceland and have that be your return flight apparently everyone who did that they ended up having to go back to iceland with us on a domestic flight and had to wait 24 hours almost for their next international flight to fly off yes so that's the thing that's the catch right <laughs> between iceland pharaohs and copenhagen those are all considered domestic flights guys so you have to go to a different airport in Iceland. Yeah. And Faroes is one airport. Copenhagen's one airport. But Iceland has two airports. And they're like 45-minute drive if away from each traffic. other. That's without traffic. It was like 40 minutes to get to the And then when airport. you had your option of, in Iceland, we'll talk about this in our Iceland podcast, but Brennan got a rental that was at the airport we thought we'd be flying into. And yes, we should have paid more attention and noticed it. But it's not. It wasn't. And yeah. he had to take a bus. And that bus was going to take an hour to get there. And he arrived an hour before that bus was ready to leave right. to take an hour so to go 40 minutes. Two hours to get there. <laughs> yeah. And so I oh. split a cab with someone. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about that later. But yeah. Yeah. Holy cow. So yeah, flying there can be challenging. Just do your research. Yes. Make sure you know where the airports are located because like we said, Iceland has two different airports. So if you fly into Iceland, you're not going to be flying out of the same airport. It's just, it's kind of crazy. So I think what you should do, and I'm guessing here is that you should fly into Iceland on this day and just go straight from, straight from Iceland to Faroes. And then on the way out of the workshop, you should take a trip and stay in Iceland. It's going to force you to stay there for a night anyway on the way out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you might as well make that your extended stay in Iceland instead of starting with it. People like oh. Elise and Dave and Matt, they started with <clears throat> Iceland, came to Pharaohs, and then on their way back, they had to wait an extra night in Iceland before they could go home. And because they already paid their money, already spent a ton hanging out in Iceland, they didn't do much other than mm. get food, hang out, sleep. Right. And so come through, get to Iceland. If it works out 
timing-wise, take your flight right away that same day into the Faroe Islands, and then on your way home, have an extended stay in Iceland. And when you hear that podcast about it, it's totally worth it and totally full of tourists. Yep. So, so travel tips. Yep. So we're done with that. Yeah, done. <laughs> now, Brendan, you described the land this way. Describe it for everybody. Oh, we're actually going to talk about that in the next segment. So yeah. let's talk about Faroe Islands food and restaurant opportunities. Well, they actually have, so in Torshan, there's a lot of options. Yeah. You know. And the most amazing option for sushi I've ever had in my life. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I've had a lot of salmon in my life. My wife loves salmon. I've been eating sushi for over a decade so I'm, old, you know. So I'm so I'm so like <laughs> superior, experienced, <laughs> experienced. <10 years. laughs> yeah, not superior. I'm definitely not superior. Um, no. So for over for, for like basically over 15 years, I've my my wife introduced me to sushi. I would not touch it before that, and mm-hmm. um, but she's been eating it like her whole life. So, um, you know, Logan, he knows what he's talking about when he I says if it's about. good or bad. So my taste buds are really refined i've refined i've wetted my palate for a long time oh we were hoping to hear about your palate today so i've had a lot of salmon and i've never had salmon this good ever and i've had okay i've had alaskan salmon that was actually what wild caught brought back to scottsdale for wedding reception but it was it was frozen for a short time Mm. but the way they prepared it was it was amazing and i'm just like this is salmon like this is amazing this topped that by almost two times. I mean, it was, it was, the salmon was wet, but still, it was like salmon butter. I don't even know how to describe it. It's freaking amazing. <laughs> if you enjoy a good nigiri with the big salmon chunk on the top of that <sighs> rice, you would understand why we talk about it being like butter. Yeah. It was so good. And all of the sushi was great. I mean, these, yeah. these teenage girls, maybe 21 each, are out there. The only ones you see. And then somehow behind the wall is like There's this magician. master <laughs> magician <laughs> Japanese chef that's probably chained to the wall that they've kidnapped and made him stay in Faroe Islands because they were well prepared they were awesome they oh were i bet tasty. he's well paid because that place was a was not that cheap to begin it with wasn't that bad though either it ended up being like 30 bucks a person but 30 bucks a person on sushi, sushi i mean there are people out there who spend 150 dollars a night on sushi yeah yeah so you know you know yeah. it's it's not bad all things considered of all things i didn't expect to go to Faroe island and have the best sushi of my life yeah so the reason they do that is be- the reason it's so good <laughs> is because they actually salmon farm in the bays it's it's sea salmon i mean it's their salmon it's their salmon that's fresh picked that day i mean it's ridiculous how good and fresh it was okay we're trying to talk about faroe islands and how photography is awesome oh yeah photography yeah yeah the Um, food is good so yeah you've got really good food options so that's just one that's just the tip of the iceberg really if you like sushi fantastic place in town uh in the main city when you go outside of the city what are your options? Bachelorhood and college years. That's yes. pretty much. Gas station hot dogs, but so, not bad ones. Yeah, yeah, so when you say <laughs> gas station hot dogs, the first thing you're going to think about is that, that nasty roller thing that's been spinning hot dogs for the last oh, three days. And you can tell which ones have been in there for three days and which ones were put on this morning. Mm. And uh, this is not the case. The Faroese must go through 300,000 hot dogs a day, I swear, because <laughs> between the tourists... And and the locals, Everyone they all them. freaking love these hot dogs. 
There's regular cheese-filled spicy bacon wrapped. Oh, oh my bacon wraps. So and good. That, those are the hard ones to get because they wouldn't be on the grill already. And like, it'll take 20 minutes, right? Oh, yeah, the bacon wrap. Yeah, the bacon wrap would sell out. I think every single gas station would sell the bacon wraps every day. They'd probably sell out of them. They were the pot at the end of the rainbow. Every time I showed up in the gas station, I'm like, please tell me that they have a bacon wrapped one. And, it's like, and no, sometimes they had three it. of them. They're like, yes, <laughs> we can each have one. And then you like elbowed everyone else in the workshop <laughs> away from you so that you could get that one. You're first. getting cheese today. I'm getting bacon. <laughs> and the way that they have a French and a regular, and the French style is basically imagine, uh, imagine the hot dog is a piston. How's a piston work? Like a piston <laughs> goes inside the outside. Like they jam so it they in. Jam, so what they do is they take a baguette and they like cut it in half, like a they long don't even baguette. Cut it. Oh, yeah, it's like a long like, baguette. They cut it in half, then they drill a hole in the middle of it, and then shove your hot dog down that hole. Yeah, yeah. Imagine it's entirely encased by a full baguette with a but, little like. But then they add the sauce the to end. it. That's funny how they add the sauce because they don't like because it's not because because there's a hole, so they add the sauce like around the ring of it and inside and they shove your hot dog inside and they oversauce it every time and they usually yeah and, and <laughs> you know because they're gas station employees so they're not like professional chefs even though they do hot dogs all day long yeah um it's better to tell them half sauce if you can get them to understand if you can half, understand if you by half by half because <laughs> yeah i was like half sauce i'm like oh this is light on sauce oh my yeah. gosh yeah. And it's all at the bottom, but it's a really good baguette, really great. And they bread. have like three or four or five different sauce flavors too, depending mm-hmm. on where you go. And depending on what you can translate and figure out. Once I found out they had hot mustard, I was like, "Yes, I'm in heaven." Yeah, and I'm not a big fan of hot mustard. It on tastes a, a little too. It's a too. I don't. I don't like the the horseradish flavor and the hot mustard taste. It has horseradish I you in said it. You said you had a brilliant, it. amazing, superior palate, and you don't enjoy something I love horseradish no i don't enjoy that <laughs> and so when I, I i so i like mustard i like honey mustard dijon mustard but i don't like the, the hot mustard with the horseradish in it because i just don't like the horseradish so i can taste <laughs> it in there and i'm like Ugh. yeah my tongue don't <laughs> like, like it. a two-year-old doing that yeah so he anyways waved his arms in the air <laughs> so give it away, but away food photography flying we got rid of the ff now for the ph the ph the photography the rest of the podcast we promise you is entirely about photography if you were to go to Faroe Islands, what would you expect? What, what could you expect to see and capture? And what are the awesome things around the Faroe Islands? Well, we're going to tell you for the next 45 minutes. But for right now, we're going to end with the story about what we did not expect. Because the way mm. that the times and the seasons work is that the Faroe Islands from April through August, they never get out of the twilight periods. You'll see in July that they dip only into a civil twilight period. If you're familiar with the twilight periods through our, our discussions and everything or at, on your own, you know that it gets sunset and then immediately begins civil twilight period. And then it goes into the nautical, then it goes into astronomical, and then it's full darkness. In July, the pharaohs, they dip from sunset to civil twilight, back to sunrise, back to daytime. So they don't even really get a blue hour then. No, the civil twilight can be a blue hour, but it's towards the tail end of it. But it's like a really bright blue though, isn't it? That's something that's not dark blue. Yeah. So it's just like sunset light golden hour to dimmer to sunset light, sunrise light to golden hour. That's trippy. Crazy cool. But then you don't see aurora when you have too much light. And so the aurora mm-hmm. season in Iceland and all these places in the north are like usually from September through April. It's wintertime. Most aurora shots that I see have snow somewhere 
in the foreground. Yeah. It's typical, right? It's just that challenge of now the weather's crazy, and mm-hmm. so now you're not going to see the sky, but you've also got your best chance of aurora because it gets dark enough. Yeah. And so when we're there, we're thinking about it. Jeremy Gerritsen on the workshop, he has his aurora apps out, and he's like saying, dude, tonight's going to be a kp6 six. and that was the first night we're like what? first night we're there we're like well we got to get out and do it mm-hmm. and none of us had captured an aurora before we accidentally one night brendan and i when they had a crazy one <laughs> we had no idea it was even aurora at yeah. the time so when we know we have aurora and we're going out of these places we're trying to see if we see it Damn. and james is driving us around to like oh areas outside of the villages and outside the light pollution and he finds this hill and we get out there and we're looking around I'm telling you guys, it looked like the moon was on the other side of, of the, the clouds. clouds. Yeah, yeah. It didn't look like aurora. I didn't know what, what I was looking at. It actually seemed kind of bluish even. Mm-hmm. But then once we took a 10-second exposure, the camera, oh. it's like, whoa, this is crazy bright green. Really, really bright, bright green. Like I had my camera set to like 4,700 Kelvin, which is really blue. And yet, it totally came green. I'm green. like, dang. <laughs> so we see what looks like light on the other side of these clouds. And it was like a fully cloudy sky. We had little moments where he's like, oh, I could see something. Yeah. I have a time lapse where you can see this dancing aurora, like bl- little flame flicker mm-hmm. up into the view and then mm-hmm. goes out of view. But for the most part, it was just this green glowing light show on the other side of a bunch of clouds. Yeah. So like, it was tragic. The clouds were in the way, but it was kind very. of cool to get little pockets and windows that we could see stars. And we're like, <gasps> but then the aurora was like on the other side of the clouds. Still, it's like no, oh, it's almost on. always you know northern from where you're looking, and so yeah. it's out from you. But a KP six experience is so much different than a KP four because we were mm-hmm. out on both times, mm-hmm. and KP fours were just not big enough for them to be above us. They were over They're there. They're really the horizon, yeah. But then the KP six, it was on top of our heads. It was dancing over our heads. Right, right. If only we could see it very well. But it was just so crazy and amazing to think, okay. If I was outside, didn't know it was KP6, didn't know Aurora was a possibility, and I was just going outside and didn't realize it was a new moon, I would think, okay, it's cloudy, and that's the moon up there. Mm. That's why it's so bright above the clouds, Mm -hmm. and think nothing of it. It's white and gray, just like you'd expect with the moon lighting the clouds. It just seemed like any regular night that has a moon, and it's cloudy. Yeah. And yet, you take a picture... And quickly, two seconds in, you'd see the color. You'd yeah. see insane color. So I have a time lapse that I'll try and get on YouTube and unlist. Um, I'll link the I'll link the show notes to it. So if you guys go to photogadventures.com forward slash EP92, EP92, you can see the show notes. And I'll put that YouTube link in there for that short, you know, you can see what we weren't able to see mm-hmm. that night of all I might those do, short I might do lapses. my time lapse on Instagram or something too. So if you're Definitely. following us on Instagram... Look for that. I'm going to put that on probably in the next couple of days as well. So amazing Aurora that was behind a curtain, but still glow mm-hmm. through. I mean, I had a road that was rainy that you could see the reflection of green in the road oh, yeah. as well as the sky. And then Jeremy Garrison got a shot where you show the, the bowl of the valley and the sea inlet, and mm-hmm. the village light. And it turned out really fantastic up there. I have a similar shot, I think. So oh, yeah, good. I we'll loved be it. posting that. Yeah. So Aurora in Faroe Islands is tremendous and it happened almost every night. It's just some Mm -hmm. nights it was big and above our heads, and some nights it was off in the horizon. But every single night we had clouds 
just yeah. was unfortunate. But if you go to our workshops in September and we change the February date to, to April because there's more of a chance that the clouds won't be there, more of a mm. chance of places that we can go for photography all day long. So it's just works so much better to do that. But our April and our September workshop, you have a chance for Aurora every absolutely night. And absolutely night. I'm going to look at the dates and make sure I matched it up with the new moon well. Because we obviously don't want a full moon, but it is an awesome opportunity to see Aurora out here in Faroe Islands. What a great setting for it. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, it makes me want to go as far north in the islands as as we can to really get it up like over our heads, you know. Oh, yeah. And tempted to try and get someone to take us on a boat to go and find like an open part of the sky. Yeah. Because the clouds were fast moving and they went over your head and they seemed to surround the hills and then disappear. And often you look out in the sea and it seemed like it was more open there, but Mm. not where you wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. And so such a crazy thing. We'll talk about the clouds and the fast movement of these clouds in the next segment. So let's go ahead and take our first break of the podcast. We'll come back and talk more photography, not FO food or F L I G H T flights. Mm-hmm. We're done with that photography. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast, everyone. We're talking about Faroe Islands, and we've been going over food and photography barely with Aurora, but now let's talk about the landscape, man. You gave mm. it the name that you described it to your kids. What did you say again? So I said, I told them, I said, this is a crazy land of rainbows, waterfalls, sheep, and poop. <laughs> sheep crap is everywhere literally everywhere i mean every <laughs> single place we went to we were avoiding it and almost like every other step like it was like you go to like the most remote place that you can think of with rocks and cliffs and like <laughs> yeah. literally like no man's land right and there's like oh there's a big pile of sheep poop that i'm just about to step in like it's just <laughs> it's crazy And the land of waterfalls is not kidding. I mean, it just, you imagine if you had, okay, make a mashed potato mountain range in your plate and grab the gravy and pour it from above and see how it hits the top there and spreads out everywhere. Mm. That is what those hills are. I mean, it rains on them. Like 10 to 1,000. Yes. Waterfalls everywhere. So... I know. And it's just like, why, how, what is going on? And it's, well, they get rain like on a like minute by minute basis, practically in some seasons, it's like once an hour, like uh-huh. rainfall, you know, um, if not all day long or, you know, like there's only a couple of days where it's like, um, not mostly cloudy, you know, <laughs> yeah, where it actually like the clouds actually separated enough to see like depth in between them and actually see the sky. Um, but for the most part, it was like you would go from one island and it was raining. You go to the next island, it's not raining. But then the rain comes to that island. You go back to their island, it's not raining again. It's like it's like the rain is just like a constant force there. And the erosion is so deep. I mean, the erosion has gone all the way to the bedrock mm-hmm. on almost every single, like, I don't know, mile or two less in between every rock. I mean, it's just nuts. I mean, it's these beautiful green hills with nothing else on them because there's no trees or, or bushes, but there's grasses everywhere. Yeah. And then these tears as waterfalls have eroded away tears. All the way to the rock. Like All the way. Rock. And some of those rocks have become trenches of giant, mm-hmm. like we call them a Jake there. Yeah. Um, a in, gorge. A gorge yeah. is what we would say. And it's beautiful, has a river going through it, and it's just constant. Yeah. And because Everywhere of this. Go, every turn. <laughs> oh, and it was beautiful everywhere you turn. I mean, 
that the situation with the constant rain gave this constant particulate that if the sun came out, rainbows mm. everywhere. In mm-hmm. the beginning, it was like, oh my gosh, there's a rainbow. Get a picture of that. Get the camera out. Yeah, now. And then soon it was like you're picking and choosing your rainbows. <laughs> like I've never. By day four, <laughs> just like, yeah, there's another rainbow. <laughs> I, I've never scrutinized a rainbow as not worthy of my <laughs> photography. There's a picture I have of Brendan where there's a rainbow behind him and he's looking the other direction. That's how good the scenery is Mm. is that he's there focusing in a picture over there because the rainbow behind him is not as cool as the rainbow he's looking at that's nuts yeah yeah so the land of rainbows and waterfalls absolutely and then when the sun I mean, these clouds, they don't go up very high. They mm-hmm. hug the really, terrain. Yeah. And when they hug that terrain and are moving and kind of this scissoring, this parallaxing mm-hmm. of sky cl- clouds covering over the sky and then opening the sky and then covering the sky, you would get light beams, that light oh, beams yeah. that would come through and move very quickly across the landscape. And you'd get a light beam that is spotlighting a beautiful, quaint village. Oh, yeah. You're like, go, yeah. go, go, camera, go. And my iPhone caught more of them than my actual camera because <laughs> it wasn't ready. It all set up and everything, yeah. <laughs> I honestly want to come back to an area where I find a beautiful hillside, a beautiful, quaint village, and think, okay, this is the composition I want. I'm going to wait all day. You don't have to wait all day. You wait an hour. Honestly, yeah, you can wait true. an hour and the sky is going to change so much from every five minute <laughs> period. It's just, it's nuts. It's almost like a different comp every five minutes because the clouds move and change so much. But yeah, those God rays, I mean, or light rays or angel rays or whatever you, you know, people refer to them as. Non-denominational rays. The non-denominational, <laughs> non-religious rays. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they were just amazing. And they're like, you, like during sunset, they're over the sea. And just have these spreading out like all across. It's just huh. miles of rays. I mean, it's just gorgeous. When I landed in Utah, there was a rain cloud over there towards the salt flats. And I'm looking at it going, oh, my gosh. I mean, I can have – let's just picture this. Picture the light ray as white rectangles that are all these columns pointing down. And you have a layer in Photoshop. And you change the opacity slider from 100% down to 80%. That's the Faroe Islands rays. Mm. If you look at rays here in Utah, we go down to 10 to 15%. Like mm. You can tell they're there, but yeah. you don't have the moisture in the air and the particulates that right. make it just, they look like solid structures. They're so visible. True, yeah, because there's so much more moisture in the air, right? And all that light's just going right through and just amplifying it. Yeah, it's just crazy. The thing that I love the most about the Faroe Islands is playing with the light mm. and the fact that you can never guess. I mean, we watched a light beam that was coming consistently over us, around a hill, across the water, and heading to the opposite side of the sea where it had a village. And I'm like, here he goes, here he goes. And then by the time it got there, scissored. Scissors yeah, got, got cut off. Got cut off. Never happened. So you can never predict, mm-hmm. never be sure. And you don't have more than like. 30 seconds to even begin to appreciate it so it's like stand ready it's fleeting it's very Go. fleeting yeah. oh, but that just made him so powerful yeah. so beautiful and when areas would get that light on them and the areas around them were in shadow it Ugh. was heavenly yeah it was just yeah the light there is just unbelievable it's a magical world of fleeting very fast moving light with lots of contrast and mm-hmm. then rainbows and waterfalls yeah Everywhere, And then you've got the blue Icelandic ocean water that's glacier Icelandic. water. You mean glacier? Sea? Yeah, in the, the, the sea in the Faroes is glacier water. So it's that glacier blue with deep, 
deep like blues oh. and turquoise and it's, it's hard not it's, to overdo the color it's when you unbelievable it. yeah i mean i i was looking at pictures that i was just straight out of camera just the other night with my wife was <laughs> over my shoulder looking at some of these i'm like i'm like can you believe this i'm like this is zero editing this is straight out of camera she's like what <laughs> like it's just nuts you know and so what my camera took as a raw file versus what my eyes saw in my brain processing it's like I mean, I've got to process these things and bring them up because being there in real life was like just amazingly saturated with color in life. Rich, rich colors, rich greens, rich blues, you know, and dark moody clouds in some areas. I mean, oh, it's, it's, it's a photographer's dream to go there. It really is, especially if you love working with an atmosphere. Yeah. Because you get to play with it. You get a fleeting moment. Uh, it's just, and the color of green when it pops with the light mm-hmm. or the color of the black rock under the yeah, waterfall. That, yeah, because all the rock was volcanic, black volcanic rock. And so you've got that really dark black rock, really green, you know, grass, blue, <laughs> blue sky when the clouds part. Oh. I mean, it's just like, it's just, in, it's just intense. Like the color contrast is just everywhere. But then in the fall, the grass actually turns kind of an orangish color because the full the grass actually turns dark before winter yeah it actually has fall colors in the grass orange yeah which is is crazy interesting and i got some of that in some of my shots too and then some of the dirt was like red like red dirt like the top of some of the cliffs areas like the dirt underneath was red Mm. the rock was black it's just it's crazy really cool colors and so when you're thinking about i want to capture all of this but in like a very iconic location one of the places everyone thinks of is this dringanir mm-hmm. and dringanir is on the main island it's spelled v a g a r but if anyone asks if you ask anyone there it's like voar it's like pronounced voar 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 and so it's like not pronounced vagar and mm. it's in the same island that you are on with the airplane. So you right. land there, and there's this peninsula. If you were to look on the map, the very southern peninsula comes off of this Voar Island, and then it goes into these sea stacks, giant sea stacks and a small little sea stack. The Tind Homer area right here, that thing was so magnificent. Mm. I have a video of Brendan walking in front of the camera and just taking in the scenery, and it gives me goosebumps every time I see it because – the slow pace in which he walked up there and appreciated it was cinematic. And the scenery, this, this, this skeleton of a dragon coming out of the water. I mean, mm. just peeking out. It was just like a back of a, of a stegosaurus, you know, really cool rocks, cliff face, really sheer. And so this area of Drangonir, we knew we wanted to go. And we found out that they were starting to charge actual guide fees and you mm-hmm. weren't allowed to go unless you had a group smaller than two alone, you needed to go with a guide. Mm-hmm. And they were watching their property. I mean, there's a family that owns this land of the peninsula, and yeah. it's their property. And so they need to let a guide that they're okay with, or even their son. It was their son that was We guy, went believe, with yeah. um, Biner, and he was the son of them, mm-hmm. and guide us out to the point where you can capture the Drangonir. And how do you describe... Well, let's even just describe mm. the pathway there before we get to describing the end goal. So... If you are comfortable hiking one to two miles over a steep, slippery, muddy sheep trail that at one point has several waterfalls coming through the path, so Mm -hmm. you're going to walk over slippery rocks. I lost my life almost on one of those rocks. You saw me slip when I jumped in front of you in a leaf bender and went, and almost went off. You guys saw me slip. Were you not there when I I slipped? Okay. It must have been Matt. So... 
coming across these Jeez, sections, really? you have water going through it. And so you have to walk over like the driest of the wet rocks, you know, to try and get yourself through. Because the next with constant step. water, you get the moss, you get the yeah. slippery, snotty moss that grows. And no matter what kind of shoes you have, you're going to slip on that stuff. It's just, <laughs> yep. it's like banana peels, you know? Very. Yeah. And so you have to be comfortable doing that kind of a hike in that kind of uneven terrain mm. and that kind of slippery, muddy, depending on how recently it rained, uh, terrain is just nuts. And we look over to our right as we're walking along this edge. Imagine a very steep hill that goes off and terminates into the sea. You're just kind of cutting across that on a sheep trail. And so your feet are going one foot in front of the other because you don't have enough there's space. single yeah there's it's yeah it's like <laughs> the width of a curb yeah. right i mean like a sidewalk curb and the sheep go on these trails and make zigzags up these i mean so it's weird because it's almost like they're steps but it's almost like they're green grain and wood grains as well like it's like when the you way look, that they've shaped have yeah the way that they shaped it's like veins or wood grains going across these hills yeah and you can walk on any one of them and you can even step up them like stairs sometimes but it, it, it's just, it's so random though. Each, each trail is completely different. And the way that the trail can be completely beat down by three or four steps, mm-hmm. that means you're going to sometimes take another higher sheep trail up a little higher up the steep, you know, steep, steep hill, just so that you can step on something drier or have more grass and less mud. To yeah. Slip Cause less. sometimes it's like breaking down, like, and it's like that trail is falling apart, crumbling mm-hmm. because too many people have been on it and the grass roots can only hold so much, you know? And yeah. It's just, it's crazy. And so it's very steep and we look to the right and you have this drop off into the water and there are sheep on the right of us hanging out on what was a cliff edge that if you just kind of gave them a slight push, they'd tumble to the water because it's that steep. And it's a really scenic, if you've seen our Instagram story, I show a lot of it real quickly as us hiking through some of the easier places to hike, but you can see, I get an idea of what we're talking about. And so very gnarly, very crazy, mm. and just really, really uh, atmospheric. Uh, you can see off in the distance the road that you just drove to get out to Gosad to Lure Waterfall, and you saw this hill, and you didn't realize that you'd be walking on the sheer face of it. Kind of, it like looks you like are. it's impossible. I <laughs> yeah. mean, from a distance, untraversable. Yeah, and the dis- from a distance, you're <laughs> like, "There's no way I'm freaking walking that." You know. Like there's just, it's impossible, you know, like you're going to slide right off and fall into the ocean. And then of course, like everything, like the closer you get, you realize that there's hundreds of sheep on the side of this hill and you're like, well, okay, sheep have little tiny feet and they can walk and like really narrow paths, but they've created all these paths. So it's like, if you just walk one foot in front of the other, you can walk pretty much anywhere in that island. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So Hiking on that trail is about the first mile, and then you get a kind of a rest spot before you go up a mm-hmm. hill, and you kind of just take it open, no trail, no pathway, just kind of yeah. spread out, and you're avoiding grassy bogs that have water coming through them. Where you step, you go two, three inches deep mm-hmm. in the muddy water. So you're kind of avoiding those spots and hoping that you've made a good guess to go to the right instead of the left. Yeah. So all of us were separating through this grass. We looked like World War II guys vietnam era fanning out hiking fanning out (laughs) over the grassy fields you know and it was just interesting and steep and you go straight up to the top huffing and puffing you get to the top and you finally see what the whole purpose is Mm. how do you describe the view of dranganir i mean it's like it's like going to the top of like um the sears towers or 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 like the chrysler building or you know like yeah 
uh, what am I thinking? Inter- uh, the Chrysler, the Empire State Empire Building. State Building. Okay. It's like going to the top of that, you know, and then you finally step out and you see the reveal, and you're like, <laughs> "Holy cow, this is high!" <laughs> yeah. As soon as you get to the edge, you look down, you're like, "Holy crap!" It's like 500 feet down to the rocks. And then you look up and there's like another 500 feet above you still of a cliff. Still where you can go. And it's, oh my gosh, it's just, it's <laughs> breathtaking, really. It is. And the edge of the cliff is sheer on that side where the mm. drinker near, where the sea stacks are. And you get this, it looks like, oh man, how do you describe it? You guys imagine, I, I can't even picture something or give you a simile that makes sense. It's just... Imagine these two pillars of rock. Like imagine the the Arc de Triomphe in France, in Paris, standing in water. So you got that beautiful arch mm, in the center, mm. but instead of being flat at the top, it's completely at a forty five like, degree angle. Yeah, and it goes all the way in. It like the flat area is diamond shaped, almost right, triangular, right. and it it goes up twice, three times as high as the arch in the bottom. So it's you've nuts. got this yeah. really cool structure with an arch in it that then kind of goes up really high on one side and the other side it stops early and then diamond shape, flat, 45 degree angle of grass that covers it. So it's this table that is on its side and yeah. it has the green and sheer grass of like a billiards table. It's just nuts. Very rich colored and the rest is rock, sheer hard rock. It's like if so if you got a helicopter you really literally could be dropped off onto the and side slide of the thing off of it. and either slide down or <laughs> hike down, go up and down because with the grass it's about, you know probably just like everything else you can yeah, traverse you it fairly easily. Again. Um, we looked at it and wondered if you slid, could you get enough speed to kind of come off and clear the rocks at the end and land in the water? Probably, but we, we probably be? shouldn't um, suggest that to Devin Supertramp because I have a feeling you'd probably take the <laughs> yeah. challenge. Okay, Devin, take the challenge. So. <laughs> it's You'd have to talk to that family, though. They would not let you do it, and you can't do it more than like three or four runs because you beat down that grass into the mud, you know, and it gets ruined. Yeah. The grass is not really strong grass. You'd have like to be helicopter grass. dropped off onto this thing, <laughs> and it would be it'd be crazy. Yeah. Imagine you're growing wheatgrass and it's all fresh and you put your thumb in it and push it down into the soil and how fast the wheatgrass gets jammed under the mud and mm. you see the mud of the print where you made it. I mean, every footstep you take in some of this area actually does like that, that to yeah. the grass. It's so, so spongy. We all try and go in separate areas to spread out our flattening of the grass yeah. as well as not going and making too many extra steps where we could just all go in one line and keep yeah. this place looking like that. So it was a big trade-off everywhere. Yeah. So that brings up the, a question that I'm sure maybe maybe people are listening to and thinking of this at this time is, okay, so you're going in these crazy, muddy, wet places. Uh, what do you wear? How do you prepare for that? Mm, right. You know, so m- one of my su- two suggestions right off the bat are something that's light and rainproof. I bought an arm, uh, Under Armour like rain jacket slicker yeah. that's just really thin. It's not really breathable. So if you have a fleece on and you start hiking with that thing, you're going to get hot real fast. Oh. But- it's totally like waterproof, right? So it's just like a waterproof layer. You can throw on real fast. If you don't need it, you just shove it in your bag. You can shove it in your pocket. It folds up to like nothing, right? Nice. It compresses really nice. So a nice, easy, compressible rain jacket would be great to have um, because it rains like every hour there in, in some areas. You 10 know? minutes, it'll rain, and then it'll be sunny for 20 right, minutes. Right, So you only need it for like five minutes, and you can take it off again. Um, and then the other thing is like getting really high, high um, ankle shoes that are waterproof. Mm, the like, waterproofing is nice and yeah. the rolling of the ankle that will happen. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, get yourself a nice, good pair of boots and boots. a rain slicker of some sort that's nice and light and compressible because you're going to use them every day. I mean, I brought just my boots and I was so glad that I did because holy moly, like if I would have worn my regular boots I normally wear for Utah hiking, there's no way. No. There's no way. I would have soaking feet every single day. It would have been miserable. So Ugh, you don't want to get your anything wet like your shoes there. Right. They will never dry before you leave. You cotton, just wool, well, not cotton, but wool socks also. Oh, wool. Must. Absolutely wool. Everything so there wool. is wool. It's yeah. she's so wool. <laughs> it's a thirty rock <laughs> reference. Um that's so wool. Um uh so if you are going to wear um light rainproof pants and rainproof jacket then you want to strip out of something i loved and i i joke around but i really do love it the kurt kai summer wear mm. because you've got like these under armor tights that they are nice and breathable but you don't want to breathable but you don't want to look all form-fitting yoga pants dude just like showing off the exact shape of my rump mm-hmm. as i'm hiking so i put on shorts over those to you know de-disgust people and so I wear that and it was fantastic and when it got rainy I just threw on those rain slickers over my pants and the wind breaking of it the mm. waterproofing of it fantastic loved it and when I was sliding on my on the path on the way back it made it for a perfect slide that I didn't even care about I didn't get soaked yeah so that's the one other thing is the wind we didn't really talk about that yet so dangerous it's crazy because you can have calm periods and then you can have crazy fast gusts depending on the location too yeah there's some areas where it just blew constantly and uh then there's microbursts that can happen those are the ones that had me scared every time you or anyone else in the group got close to the edge i'm like here comes a microburst i'm gonna see them fall to their death yeah because that's what happens to tourists a lot of times they're I think there's like five to ten deaths a year because tourists are like too close to the edge and also in the wind will just poof and they'll go right off or that grassy loose soil gives out from underneath them Mm. because it's just that fragile yeah it isn't traversed on a lot and the sheep don't go to that edge and it's just about to erode into the ocean and you step on that that six foot plate of glasses or glasses Um, six foot section of grass and mud is just gonna slink off into the ocean with you it's true because it's so saturated and so wet that i mean there's no trees or even big bushes that grow wildly out there and so it's just grass which is totally crazy like there's some trees in like the towns and villages and stuff because they planted them because they yeah it's like what happened to all the trees like there's no forest or nothing (laughs) it's just grass and grass roots when they have that much water every day every day guess what grass is lazy you know they don't try they don't they don't have to like grow roots and then they only have like six or eight inches of the most before the bedrock and so it's like they don't can't really go that far but even like six or eight inches of roots would give you a lot of strength but they don't go that far Mm because they're lazy grass will just grow the perrowese grass is as lazy as grass you've ever seen (laughs) but i mean but it's but at the same time it's sheeperized too and so you have the sheep constantly nibbling at it so maybe it's not as bad as i think but Stupid slacking but grass. But it's so wet. It's Everything is just so <laughs> soaked that if you did take a wrong step, you could just take a big chunk of dirt with you and see you. You know, like you never you never know. That happened to me once on a two-foot drop-off. Thank goodness. And I was not on an edge of a cliff. Mm. But I was, 
at this point, we're on the beachfront when we went out there at Saxon. Yeah. I went up the hill and there was this view going back behind me, going up into where some light was hitting the hills. Mm. And so I turned around and I kneed down, one knee on my right on the edge of the hill where it's kind of a drop off for three or four feet. Mm-hmm. And I put my knee down and I, I turned all my weight to my right knee as I did that and it just slunk all the mud and grass for about, I would say six inches wide section at about two feet long and just goes mm. poof and fell two, three feet. And immediately I had to recover from doing the splits right there on that hillside because it's just, it's that fragile. Yeah. It's that fragile. So just don't take any risks. Take only the smartest risks and understand that this could be a great way to die. You did photography. You did what you love. (laughs) But I mean, don't recommend it. You don't need to die. Not the first time you go to the Faroe Islands. No. And so we're standing on a giant hill that is above everything in Drangoneer. And we have the rest of our hike down. And we're thinking, so what's our plan? Because you look down and it's steep as blank. And you're thinking, what are we going to do? Well, and we wanted to stay for sunset, right? But then what's after sunset? Dark. Dark. (laughs) And so we took this two-mile hike. And we're like, it's going to be dark soon. And we want to capture the sunset, but we don't want to hike back in this, do we? Like, this is horrible. Mm -hmm. So luckily we had discussions with a guide and uh, he made some calls. He's like, maybe my dad could come out here and pick us up in a boat if the weather and the tide works out. And we're like, that sounds amazing. Yes, please. How much is that going to cost? We'll pay it. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's because the hike out there was plenty excruciating. Imagine doing that in the dark. Oh, yeah. And I forgot my big headlamp at home. I didn't take it with me. Your amazingly bright headlamp. So I had to buy this cheap little headlamp that cost me 30 US dollars. For out there cheap in Pharaohs. For a cheap little like $10 headlamp. I spent three <laughs> times as much for this thing. There's no Amazon in Pharaohs. <sighs> I think there is, but it comes something. via Copenhagen, I guess. I don't know. And so, but there's no, there's no two day delivery. It wouldn't have made a difference. So I found a little hardware store and I bought a little headlamp and I used it maybe once, twice. You maybe. never even um, needed it because we ended up taking the boat. Yeah. So when you're looking at it from the high point, he says, we're going to go up a little bit more and you wonder, okay, what is next mm. on that hike? We get up a little bit more and then we see what ends up being like a straight complete diagonal path from top of the hill to that cliff edge and it was just go Mm. and sliding slipping pushing dirt off the hill and rolling down and you'd hit like a rock a little bit and then that thing would tumble 30 to 40 yards down the hill wondering if you're going to kill a sheep or someone else hiking there and there no one else there There Mm there's no one else but us at the time but it's steep and crazy and scary if you have any fear mm. of heights, any lack of confidence and having, you know, falling to your death risk, then you don't want to be on this trail. Yeah. This trail really, it really harnesses all of your paranoias of slipping and falling to your death. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that being said, everyone did the hike like amazingly well, you know. No injuries. And we had no injuries. And that Muddy was just. Muddy is the worst we got. Yeah. And so it was really great. But. That being said, you still should be very, very careful when you're, when you're doing such things. One of the cool things I noticed about this specific spot is that this was the first time that James had done, ever done this trail too because yeah. he hadn't done it before and then they started doing tour, you know, started doing the guided tours and stuff. And so it's hectic um, to get there. It's a lot of effort. It's just, it really not, is. It's way too iconic sometimes to always want to go there. But what's neat is he looked over to the other side of the bay and he's just like, I've never seen that waterfall before. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, really? And he's like, no. I mean, and he's been going there for seven there. years, right? 
And he's just like, I had no idea that was even there. And it's a big one, too, that and it drops right into the ocean. And the reason he'd never seen it before is because the road is almost a mile up from the waterfall. And you drive over the little gorge that the mm-hmm. waterfall becomes. Uh, that's part of it. But he, but you never see it from that angle. And ever. there's so many waterfalls that just kind of drip into the ocean all mm-hmm. the time that you drive past them. So you don't know which one's comb, you know culminate in like a large awesome yeah. waterfall you well, can't tell yeah I mean, what's cool is from there he can map out and be like oh if i just park the car on the side of the road i can walk right down the hill and get a shot of this waterfall it's amazing it's just like yeah that's cool and you had no idea <laughs> it was even there how easy you could it's just amazing what you get from a different viewpoint you know from a different perspective things can change dramatically and you can definitely see this metaphor for life people and another change your perspective another metaphor for life Sometimes taking the easy route will punch you right in the groin because mm. having a boat show up was amazing, it was delightful, it was wonderful. But our night, as the sunlight was great leading through golden hour and then into <laughs> sunset, the light was blocked. We didn't have a nice color. Mm. And at the very tail end of our time there, we started seeing a little bit of color. And what happened was all the lower clouds, all the lower elevation clouds never got anything. But the high, thin, upper elevation clouds, potential for afterglow, mm. those ones actually started being revealed between all of these low elevation clouds. And because those were getting revealed, we're starting to see the light hit them Mm -hmm. and then what proceeded to happen broke all of our hearts as we were in the boat in the boat (laughs) heading back to not even that i mean like getting to the boat walking away from the beautiful light as it's starting and then walking 10 yards looking back going oh no look at it i know you just packed up your bag like why couldn't the sky come half an hour later oh my gosh just we needed 10 more minutes to capture it that's all we needed but our boat arrived in like the first minute of it Mm. and then he was arriving his boats crashing into the the rocks right there with the yeah, waves hitting really up against like, the Oh my gosh, it was like, I don't want to stress this guy out. I don't want to break his boat. No, he's we got to get in there. there. He, he's not going to wait here forever. It's really rude. Oh yeah, you know? very rude. And so it's just like, we all were just like in tears practically as we got on the boat, driving away, you know, turn, <laughs> are all, we're all facing the place we just left with an amazing sunset, like the best sunset of the trip. The at best that point. sunset of the trip. At that point, Up that was until. happening, and it was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> why? I mean, we were not getting splattered with water. Our faces weren't wet with wave salt water. It was all of our tears as we watched the sunset just become amazing over that awesome rock that we described. Mm-hmm. Just brilliant everyone took 10 steps reluctantly and looked back the whole way from the edge of the water to where they picked us up like 10 no i guess it was like 50 yards away Mm. and we're just like oh come on please i want to oh my camera's away oh come Mm -hmm. on Uh, uh, uh." and then in the boat everyone had their phone out and those who still had their cameras out were trying to get their best in the bouncing a heaving boat that was going up and down up and down is this where we should mention the bender dive should we mention the Bender dive? Because I really like Bender, and I want to keep her liking me. So we're going to mention that, and then she, maybe <laughs> if you're lucky, she can tell you later about that. It's nothing too insane. I mean, we've already <laughs> mentioned it enough that she's already getting red-faced and embarrassed. But we, I did the same thing as Bender, just not 
as every level that she did because you know when you're getting on the boat the boat is heaving up and down yeah you got the stern of the boat just going up and down and you're trying you to time, time getting thing, on right? it yeah so when you get on it it then bucks you like a bull up in the air and so when i jumped on it i'm a short guy i just wanted to make sure i was on it so i laid flat first and i slid into the seat and then stood up and got down so when i slid down into the chair i stood up and it looked fine but mm-hmm. when bender did it she got a crazy wave and her thing was i'm not falling off this boat into the cold water that you can last only a few minutes before being too cold and dying right i have all my camera gear on my back Mm -hmm. i want to keep safe and so she went the safest way possible and she slid like a squid would onto (laughs) onto shore i mean face first two hands out and the legs just kind of limp behind her as she slid off the top of the stern down to the lake to the seat layer and then down an extra level onto the onto the and it was one of the, the most comical the things we'd seen the whole trip and so we all just kind of just got a big <sighs> Elise, kick out of it forgive us for enjoying this moment yeah i laughed it was one of my fi- honestly it was one of my favorite dirty. moments as far as the group <laughs> and people interaction thank you for that thank i you, made Bender. it worse after she came up with the good spirits and thumbs up like you know i made it safely yeah i then said to her and i said you look like ursula when she was going around eric don't talk to her eric and she looked like <laughs> and ursula like, when she and transformed she got from mad. human to you know <laughs> <God>. <laughs> i'm sorry elise i did the same thing but no one saw and james actually has footage of her doing it yeah so there is, I mean, I stopped recording my own video at that point. I thought, oh man, that would have been great to have. But then James is like, I got that. I'm like, oh, okay. Highlight so, of the trip, Bender. Thanks so much for being hilarious because that was funny. And she had good yeah. nature with about it the whole time too. Yeah, yeah. So they just, sport. the most beautiful sunset we had. And like Brendan said, up until that point. So we're going to continue on. Instead of breaking this podcast up in the two podcasts, we're going on long. If you guys want to come back, you guys are going to be rewarded with hearing us talk about the most amazing sunset we have ever seen in, in our my, lives. Yeah. In, yeah. <laughs> I, I, okay. I can't wait to tell you guys about it. We'll come right back after this break. Hey guys, welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast. We are discussing the Faroe Islands and the last segment, we're going to talk about farmers and then the, the best spot we've ever been to. Cal Soy! Cal Soy was our, our triumphant call. And the funny thing is, is that Jeremy and I started doing that right at the very beginning just because mm-hmm. it sounded funny because Cal Soy! Mm-hmm. Cal Soy! It was an easy thing to yell. I think he did it the very first. And we hadn't <laughs> even seen anything else but a tunnel and a little sheep area, nothing really special. And right. it turned into this amazing call of the best place I can't wait to go back to mm. place ever. Kalsoy is what I would get a tattoo of if I got a Faroe Islands tattoo because I loved that part of the island so much. And it's his own island, right? I mean, yeah. we ferried out to the get to get there. Yeah, I so mean, let's let's talk yeah. about a little bit of logistics there and the and the feeling of this area and give you guys a little heads up that the undiscovered Faroe Islands is slowly becoming overly discovered <laughs> and we're running out of time of being photographers there. I mean, think about it this way. When Brendan and I first talked to James about doing a Faroe Islands workshop mm-hmm. and his suggestion of we should group up and do a workshop together, we were so excited because there're like four or five maybe four or five YouTube videos out there on Faroe Islands and mm-hmm. nothing really photography related. Mess Iverson had a great video series of Faroe Islands and nothing else much. Right. And in the time since that only a year ago, now if you look up Faroe Islands, you find almost every vlogger, every photographer have all made a trip out there. 
Even our Russian friend Anton, after he was just out there like a couple tells, weeks ago, he went out there. Yeah. yeah, everyone is going out to Faroe Islands. It's right a now. crazy hot topic. I think because everyone's overdone Iceland so much that they're going to like, what's the next place? What else right? is untouched or undiscovered? What else can we capture that's really iconic? And the landscape there's so like wild and so like and and so iconic that. It's just, you've got to go and experience it, right? Mm-hmm. So every photo- every landscape yeah. photographer, it's on their radar now, you know? Very much and so. And it's easy. If you, go, if you can go to Iceland, you've been to Iceland three or four times, like a lot of these guys have been, then like, what do you do next? It's just, it's an hour and a half away from Iceland. So if you're already there, yeah. hey, hour and a half flight. It's cheap. It's you seriously the best bang, bang you can do where mm-hmm. you can go and hit Iceland up and Faroe Islands. Bang, bang. Do yeah. it. Fantastic use of money and time with photography right what two weeks we did it two weeks did it It was fantastic yeah yeah could use three weeks in both places but still so like you said when you started this discussion is you know everybody's discovering this place now and everybody's going to it and the tourists i mean we saw buses that fit probably a hundred people on these buses and we saw several of them in two of them in one spot and just like hordes of people like getting out of this bus and walking to this place and the places where they never had ropes, they never had barriers, they never had any of these things before. before. And it seems like in the last, James was saying the last three or four years. Even it's said last year, rampant. it wasn't like that for him. Even last year. So, I mean, look, yeah, this it's summer true. Was a lot of these the ropes, busiest it's ever been. A lot of these ropes we saw were just a single rope with some stakes. Like, they just put them in, like, last week, it seemed like, you know. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's like, uh, so the farmers are getting sick of it, you know. And it's crazy because it is just their homeland, and there's fifteen to 20,000 people in the entire island. I thought it was like 100 for the whole, no, for the, all the islands. No, 100,000 people in Iceland, and there's like 15, Ew. maybe it's 50. I might have heard James wrong, 15, 50? I think about 50. Torsan's pretty big. I mean, you can easily fit yeah. a couple hundred, couple th- yeah, mean, maybe 20,000 people in Torsan. Double check my population numbers, but picture it this way. Every part of that island, every part of every island is owned by a family. It's mm-hmm. not like it's got government-owned public lands. Not it's that I'm all aware private of. land, yeah, because they've all been there for so long, like generations of families, and I'm sure the the land has been divided up eons ago, you know. Yeah, and so yeah, because they're just islands; they're just small groups. Fifty thousand. It's forty nine thousand one hundred seventeen wow. as of two thousand sixteen, and so Torshan has seventeen thousand six hundred people wow. in their city, and so very low population. You think and about the tourists, though, probably oh. double the population every year. Yeah, exactly. And then you get this place like Saxon, where this guy owns one house here, and there's like four or five other houses nearby. And that's a beautiful village over there in Vesmana. Yeah, and, and that's it, right? That's all there is. Yeah. And all of a sudden now people are descending on it because it's so cool looking. Mm-hmm. There's this old church. There's a grass hut rooftop. There's this really cool black and red classical tour, like Faroe Islands colors mm. cottage right mm-hmm. on the edge of this lake. This is this harbor that used to be deeper where they had brought boats that would come in mm-hmm. and then silt and sand as all filled it up so it can no longer be a harbor. So now it's just kind of like a lake and at low tide and you can fishermen, hike out there. Yeah, the guys go, locals go in there and fish. We saw three or four fishermen out right? there. No big deal. And so this is their local area. And then suddenly imagine your backyard had a beautiful view. And now the world has decided to come see that view in your backyard. like 100 people every day. And they're going to walk all throughout your backyard. And your backyard was becoming what was once beautiful grass is now a mud pit. Mm. Like you had 100 horses trompled through there. Right. And And so they started 
fencing places off, putting up pathways that they didn't have pathways before to try and corral us rude tourists who are showing up and messing with their farmland. They need the grass for their sheep. They Mm -hmm. need the land. And they can't have us just wandering everywhere. And so there's an iconic black and red building by the end of this Saxon area lake that... It's not a lake. I guess it's an inlet harbor. Yeah, but, but it looks like a lake. But yeah, yeah, you can't capture that picture anymore. Right. Already, we can't do what we Mess even Iverson asked like did. politely, and Very the guy was just like, politely. "Nope." I mean, I saw Jeremy. He literally bowed to him when he was asking him and pleading if we could just walk down there. It's like four of us, and no, yeah. the answer was no. So you got to respect it. You got to respect it. You do. You know? and, uh, and 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 some of these places we went to said like no drones either. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, tired of drones. And I'm like, I'm looking around. I'm like, what is a drone possibly going to do? But when you have 100 tourists with drones, yeah, I could imagine that would be very freaking annoying. And the crazy, unique scenario of scaring their sheep with the drone. Which has happened in the past, sheep. which is why they probably say no drones. Some drones have literally scared sheep off over the cliff. Yeah. I mean, that's weird. nuts. <laughs> oh. So now you're affecting their livelihood, which is the sheep um, is half their livelihood there in the islands. And mm-hmm. so sheep and fish. You know, when it's like, dude, you start messing with their livestock, it's over. Game over. Right. So, and a lot of these tourists just have no boundaries. They just don't care. They're ignorant, whatever. I think as photographers, we usually are a little bit more mindful of yeah, things. Yeah, I'm proud we of usually, the photography community on the most part. Yeah. You know, for most, I'd say like 90% of the photography community is like, leave no trace, pick up after yourself, even pick up other people's stuff. Yeah, you know, I picked up like, trash. Like I do, I pick up other people's trash every once in a while because it's just like, dude, this is like pristine landscape. Don't leave your litter, you know, and tourists just don't have that mindset typically. And it's just sad. So the word of warning is you guys have got to get out there sooner than later. mm. And unfortunately, because we don't want to bring in groups of 12 and go on that hike in Kalsoy and go experience the most amazing like peninsula drop off cliff, really cool spot with a 30 people, Mm. we're going to bring our workshops down to only six. And so we have two workshops next year. That's it. April and September. We know Nick Page and Mess Iverson's doing theirs in July and it's already sold out. And so if you want the cheapest, the most like most days because we have seven full days out there workshop that you can find right now for Faroe Islands you guys have really got to check out the link down below we want you to come with us and we want you to come with us You've now before it. more it's places are blocked off unbelievable which leads us to the last story the unbelievable the last unbelievable story. last story of Kelsoy it <sighs> was unreal I mean the hike wasn't even that bad when you compare it to are you kidding Drangineer, okay. it wasn't it's not that bad but it's but entirely uphill through mud. That's true. It was uphill the whole way. It was, literally was uphill the whole way. Entirely. And um, the problem was is we just had our Drangoneer hike, and we were exhausted. And we even skipped the last half of the hike by taking the boat back. And now it's like James is like, oh, it's like mostly flat and short. And so we're picturing this was, a hike that is flat and short. Okay, yeah. So the payoff, <laughs> luckily, it was the best payoff I've ever had oh, for, yeah. for what, it, what felt like a lie. And once I got there... <laughs> I, <laughs> It was not a flat, short hike. No. It was the, completely the opposite of that. It was and long, and it was uphill the whole way. Easily done, though. I mean, but very it wasn't like life-threatening done. like hike. You know? We've had like harder that. hikes. Now maybe it's just our high elevation to sea level benefit we got because I've been huffing and puffing and dying in hikes a lot more than I was in that hike. It right. was the drudgery. There was drudgery going through the mud and slipping and just. Yeah. Feeling like it was never going to end. I slipped a couple times on that on that on the way yeah, back. On I the slipped way three times. Yeah, and I just 
once I got there though, I wasn't beat up like I'd been on hikes. Yeah, yeah. You weren't like totally exhausted and spent. True. No, it's no. true. And it may have been the oxygen level difference between our high elevation Utah life and there. But it's I just, think it definitely helps living <laughs> yeah. here and then going there. And I'm not in shape. I'm yeah, my shape yeah. is is cuddly like a pillow. I am not a hiker right now. And so it's not that bad of a hike, but it's constant uphill and you just sort of take one step at a time slowly yeah. and you get there and it's not too bad. So the problem with me is that my my left knee gets worn out. You know, after doing Drangoneer and that that long hike, like my my knee was like done, right? Yeah. And then to do this like the next day, that was like the hardest thing for me is that I sh- probably should be wearing like a knee brace or something. But You're going to have to start to, old man. I'm going to have to, but... It's worth injuries. it. It's worth it though. Because you get an you injury and then longer. your knee, you know, gets overworked for a year and then that's it. Like it, years it's just, of rodeo clowning, man. It just hurts you. It's it's all that clown makeup. It's just finally paying <laughs> off. Makeup. I wasn't talking about the <laughs> the weight of the clown makeup. <laughs> but so anyways, soy, it's this narrow, back. thin, like lima bean. Not lima bean. It's more like a green bean pod. You know, shape of an island. Yeah, I don't even know what the shape of it is. I just. Uh, I'll show you. You're on the map. Uh, Kalsoy, I mean, this place is um, this tiny island in between. You have to, you have to take a ferry out there, areas. and so you can take the ferry by either walking onto the ferry or driving into. It. There's like a spot for maybe six cars on the ferry, and apparently it's normal. They go like every. Oh, that's it. That, okay, yeah, it really is like a green bean shape. <laughs> yeah, like a. Long I mean, the collection green of bean. islands are so unique too that there's tunnels or bridges or ferries that you have to use to transport yourself around. And uh, but because they do it every single day, it's fairly inexpensive. There are a couple toll roads, right? Toll. There's a couple yeah, toll. Yeah, you have to um, pay tunnels. to go in the tunnels. You, they won't. You won't notice it. It's basically charged to your rental as you go underneath because they right. have to they set just, up. They and just, just scan your they, they license plate every time. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, but yeah, it's just it's it's awesome though. I mean, it's amazing how much you can get around from island to island uh, with very little effort. It's awesome. So once we got to this hike that we was no longer not longer not short nor flat <laughs> no but uh holy cow getting to the top and seeing another amazing cliff edge seaside view the little tiny lighthouse which was uh, what i thought we were going for and yeah. everything else was better yeah you could see the other islands from both sides okay so you're looking north or I presumed it was north, but it wasn't as actually west. Cool. If you're looking if you west, stood at the you see one looking... looked on that peak that we couldn't walk out to. Yeah, that was north. Okay. Yeah, that's true. The peak. Getting yeah, the your peak. bearings. Yeah, and so, but the sun was setting west, and so to the southwest you can see islands, it and to the west over there too. To the southeast, you can see the other islands, and it was really just amazing because you're just out there, kind of peeking into the ocean, and so the north there's nothing, right? It's just all open right. ocean, and. We could see the clouds. They were getting really separated. The sun was starting to set. Oh, you're going way too fast. Am I? Because the good parts. Because I want to talk about the terrain still. Because when you guys arrive on the hike, you have this sheer wall of the large grassy area that then tips up, goes up to the high point of the lighthouse, and then it sheer drop off. Right. It's like a sheer drop off, and then lighthouse, and then it comes down like this big open valley kind of feeling yeah it's just so you see the valley you look to your left and you go up to this high peak that has tons of character on the rocks there's grass growing and birds flying around like it's tropical paradise hawaii and And in the summertime puffins actually like hang out there yeah tons of puffins i think in these areas 
and, and then missed out because they had all migrated. It's or just unfortunately September, and yeah. we'll never see that in our workshops. But it's worth it to see Aurora potentially, and just you don't think uh, even in the spring, in the late spring, you don't think? I'm not will? sure. I'm not I sure. Really I hope so. I would love it. to get a picture of a puffin, but <laughs> so yeah. this area you're standing by the lighthouse, you have this area that you can hike out to that's very dangerous in high winds and rain. So you mm. wouldn't do it on the night. Like it was we crazy were. windy. Yeah, very dangerous to go out on. But when you can go out there, you look back towards it and you see the lighthouse on a hump up a camel then it humps down and goes to a next peak of this beautiful tall mountain i mean just really really cool sheer but cliff. that but that little path was nuts though i mean you could walk out there but it was like you're taking your literally taking your life in your own yes. hands if you go past the lighthouse down that little cliff path mm-hmm. that obviously was a path i mean it was well worn very but it's like dude if the wind blows you because the wind could blow you either direction and you're out i and would you're gone. do it crawling hand and feet you know in some scenarios honestly yeah then the other peninsula to the right of that looked almost as treacherous. But once I started walking the path, I'm like, oh, this is huge. Like, this is no big deal. And it is because of the grass having these, like, fingers that go out. It's a peninsula this direction, then a hill and a cliffside this direction. And you can hike all the way up that cliff face really easy, very fast. Hike up the cliff face and go closer down here. And you mm-hmm. see below the swirling pool where the cove is created by the mm. rocks. It's a rock, like a hugging arm of a rock comes out and creates a little pool right there. So if you get a drone out, because you can do a drone there currently, yeah. if you can survive the winds, you can do a drone there and you can see the beautiful shot of this cliff and the and the really nice cove and the whirlpool water down there. It's just so scenic. You're seeing distant islands. You're seeing close islands. And then, like Brendan was starting to say, as the sun starts setting, mm. we're seeing just curtains of rainfall in the distance, mm-hmm. curtains of it making the light get diffused. I I did time lapse at one point of just a zoomed in 7300 at 70 so that I could see the curtains of water mm-hmm. falling and the light from behind it and seeing the sea stacks of like the troll and the witch out there in the distance that we could see. Right. I'm pretty sure it wasn't that area the troll and the witch, but it was, but it was cool, similar. similar. Yeah, similar sea yeah. stacks, yeah. And just uh just it was otherworldly at that point. I know. And so what happens when you have sheets of rain coming down at sunset is you get rainbows. <laughs> and it was ginormous, like, I don't even know how to explain it, mountain-sized rainbows that fill the sky. Imagine if the rainbow center point was at the edge of a peninsula that was high in the sky. And since it has sheer cliffs on both sides, we were seeing almost the full circle yeah. of the rainbow. It was. It was a double full circle of rainbows. I mean, I've seen full circle rainbows like, you know, like when you're looking down in a waterfall, right? And the sun's shining just the right direction. You can get a full rainbow. And I've seen pictures of that. But to see one straight at like eye level and you just look out the horizon and there's just a full almost a full arc rainbow staring right at you. It's just, it's, it was mind blowing. It was just yeah. so amazing. I have a picture that I haven't processed yet. That's off my camera where it's really wide at 16 millimeter and it shows both sides of the rainbow curving around this peninsula in green and Brendan's out there in his blue pants and yellow new under armor jacket. It's orange. That, Oh, it gets more yeah. orange than yellow. I love the color, though. It's mm. this perfect, like, yellowish-orange look with the blue pants that 
out there looked amazing in the green grass mm. and you get a little more idea of the scope and so not right away but it'll be on our instagram so stay tuned for more of those as soon as i get a chance now to actually edit them yeah. and put them out because uh, if you aren't one of the six people who get a hold of one of the workshops in april or september and you keep seeing these pictures coming out you're going to regret it so if you have the money Gosh, and you yeah, can seriously. do it or at least the paypal credit allowance to do it come and join us because man uh if not that we can experience this sunset to ever happen again in the rest of our lives. Right. But just the But scenery. the fact that you're there and it's potential, like we yeah. had no idea. I mean, we just went there just to go check it out. And we ended up having the most amazing sunset I've ever experienced. So I think we should both take turns describing it because okay. I don't know if either of us will do it justice, but there's no, just ways to I mean, talk about it. So yeah. start with yours first and what you ended up having to do to get the image, the shot. I mean, it was, I was shooting like a madman, honestly. Like as soon as I saw the rainbow and then I turn around and I see this wall of pink coming towards us. Like you could literally gauge it because it was coming like closer and closer. And like every 10 seconds you see it closer and closer and you're like, that's rainfall, but it's freaking all pink and it's coming right at us. And I know I should probably put my camera right and brace for rain, but I can't. Because this is incredible, you know. So first we had the amazing rainbow, and then we had this sheet of color coming at us. And I've never been enveloped in color like that, I think, ever in my life. Like, no. I literally was showered with color. I mean, it was like I was interacting with a pink salmon sunset. It was just unbelievable. Like, being there in person, it was just, it was, it was unreal. A sunset is typically this color off in the distance that's kind of lighting you or, or you know, kind of glowing. Yeah. But it's not something that has this tangible substance that you can fly out to and get into. And yet yeah. this sunset was happening and causing it's just the perfect way the clouds were. They had that gap, the sunlight was coming through and everything was getting orange and colors and mm. pinks. And they were seeing this terrain in front of us and capturing those moments. People you probably have already seen really colorful sunsets with the green hill and the golden light hitting it with the color off in the distance and mm. we were enjoying that dry just windy watching that as the color seemed to fill the sky more and like Brendan said you can finally tell that the color was coming to us the sunset color that we captured in our image literally came to us and over and us around us, us. And yeah it was nuts at one point everybody had curled around the lighthouse to get away from the like whipping winds i think i damaged my camera a little bit because some of the batteries were just going like full bars but then saying they were dead full bars saying they were dead just Ooh. because i was getting so wet but i stood there and just I just savored every second of it. Mm. I didn't want to get behind the barrier of the lighthouse because what's a little wet when I'm getting this experience of as if the sunset was a tangible cloud, I flew into it mm -hmm. and experienced like a bird what I've never experienced ever in my life. So maybe pilots can don't enjoy this every once in a while. I think this is something that I possibly you know, as go a, through as the a pilot. Clouds yeah. Lit up. This is what I'm imagining. Maybe a small plane or helicopter or even big planes. Um, but as a land based photographer, you don't get this very often. Maybe, I mean, this is like seriously the first time in my lifetime that I've ever had something like that happen. And so, uh, maybe someone like Dan Bailey can enjoy that moment more often as right. he's flying around <laughs> taking pictures in Alaska. 
Here's a little audio. The wind's crazy. Brendan and I are looking at the camera, and you can see the salmon colors around us. Yeah, and it's just incredible. I don't know if this video is doing enough to really express it, but it shows how the cloud is in front of us and coming at us. So let's post that video, even though the audio is super crappy. We'll post it maybe in the oh, show yeah, notes. Oh, yeah, you got then... to. We've got to. Yeah. And all of a sudden, my hat gets blown off. My beanie gets torn from my head. That's how, That's how much crazy. the wind yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when does a beanie fly off your head? How fast does that have to be going? Right. You know, 30 miles an hour, 40. I mean, what? Is, what is that? I don't even know because it's crazy. And the way that the light came at us and then hit that tall peak, I have a picture that I've only done the processing just a little. I mean, we're talking under 10 in saturation and vibrance. Mm. And the dang thing looks like I've gone 100% on saturation right. because it's so pink and salmon. Yeah. It's, it, it looks like a green hill, gray mountain peak on one side, and then it just kind of gradient blends into this Pink sky, pink cloud, pink atmosphere over the texture of this I rock. I honestly might, just to show you guys, just to emphasize, I, I might release a few images that just zero processing, just straight out of camera. Like, this is it. Yeah. Like, whatever the processing that I did for importing into Lightroom was it. You know, it's like, true. whatever the, the curve was applied. changes, but curves are yeah, applied. Yeah, when the curve's applied, when you import from your RAWs, because lots of people discuss this. This is not new information. Happens. <laughs> Every program is different, but I'll just export straight as a JPEG, which is further processing, but it's still like minimal, like very minimal. Like we're talking like zero to ten percent worth of actual post processing, and post it because holy cow, you've got to see what our eyes were seeing just straight out of the camera without even any any, any processing. It's crazy. It was transcendent. It was amazing, and I hope that our like way of describing it has come close to making you feel what we felt. I know it's Well, in the next podcast, when we talk to our other our workshop attendees, then they'll have their own a few more I, witnesses. They'll have they they can tune, you know, tune in and you guys can listen to them and see what they have to say about it cuz it's uh, getting different perspectives, different people's ideas. We all were just like on a high from that. We're just like <laughs> can't believe that oh, actually yeah. just happened. Like holy cow. It was nuts. And from it went from a sunset like it was kind of we had golden hour light and that was all we're going to have. Nothing mm. really great to just clouds moving just enough, opened up a gap just enough for that horizon mm. off the water. And then the way that it colored the rain as it fell and then that rain moved around us to make it more beautiful. Like if there was ever just, was a moment in your life where you can have the hallelujah chorus going off in your head, <laughs> like that was it. You know? uh, it was <laughs> amazing. It was incredible. It was, there's there's so many superlatives that I could probably use right now to explain it better, but I'm running out. So if you guys are following us on Instagram, I've just started posting like the first two images. I'm going through the 3,000 images that I've taken on this trip. Some of those are in Iceland, but some of them are time lapses, but I'll be releasing some, you know, video clips on our Instagram and you'll see, the, you'll see like the, the landscapes will start getting better and better and better every day when I'm, when we post on there so follow us on instagram if you're not it's easy photog adventures easy to find us you've got our own hashtag you know it should be easy to find us so um but yeah it's it's crazy so i really hope you guys enjoy the show notes and enjoy what we post on instagram and facebook it goes on facebook too so if you're following yeah, us on facebook absolutely does you know yeah 
So thanks guys for following us. If you are if you are loving this content and you enjoy this podcast, don't thank us. Thank our patrons. Yes. Those are the guys and girls who are putting out their own real money to support and fund this project. And this project, we just hit our two-year mark. We're about to celebrate that with some podcasts coming up yeah. here shortly. And we Crazy. have great plans and changes coming to how we're going to handle things throughout the product, the content that we're creating. It's just so much fun. Post Talk Adventures, it's about you guys more, and we're going to emphasize that more mm. in year three of Photog Adventures. Yeah. So thank you guys for following us. If you want to join us and be one of those lucky 12 that will go with Brendan and I and James out to the Barrow Islands next year, go to photogadventures.com forward slash Barrow, F-A-R-O-E. Again, F-A-R-O-E. Just go photogadventures.com forward slash Barrow, and you'll go right to our workshop page. Nice. Get that reserved now before the places get taken. Find good cheap flights. They've been really fantastic every time we've looked, so mm-hmm. it's worth it. It's fantastic. Calsoy! I mean, that place, we will hit that oh island up goodness. in September and in April. Yeah. As long as the ferry's running, we will be there because... And the ferry runs like every day, like twice beautiful. a day, so it's like, yeah. Even if we don't have a transcendent religious experience with the sunset, we can't like we promise had. that. Yeah, it's just something <laughs> that happened. Terrain. Yeah, but it's well, you got to be there and make the effort. And holy cow, did it pay <laughs> off! It was fantastic. So awesome! More podcasts coming. More podcasts coming off schedule. You'll be getting more of us very soon. So thanks so much. Have a good few days before you hear from us again. Yeah, take care, guys. See ya. <laughs>